Let's pray. Father, you know what we need and you are the one who can give it to us this morning. So, Lord, speak to us as we need it. Guide, instruct, comfort, encourage. Open our minds to your goodness to us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about the best way to live, about the highest principle of life. I don't know how you would sum up what is the best way to live, what is the essential thing to have in order to have what is most excellent in life. Here are some candidates, perhaps. Uh, Perhaps authenticity is what is needed. Perhaps if I do well in school and land a great job, but do not have authenticity, I am nothing. Just a drone, a zombie, a slave to chasing status. The Canadian uh, philosopher Charles Taylor has called our age the age of authenticity. Where to find out and live out your own way of being human is at the centre of life. Figuring out how to do you is the best way to live according to the age of authenticity. But there are some other candidates we might consider instead of authenticity. We might consider honour. Perhaps if I am smart and rich and beautiful but have no honour, I am nothing. A coward, a disgrace, a villain. Now, our present culture might not have such a fixation on honour, but in the ancient world, including the ancient world of Corinth, to which this letter of Paul's was first written, uh, it was central to life. One author writing of this says, the desperate anxiety of the Greek male is to enhance his personal prestige in the constant quest for honour. The ups and downs of a desperate quest for honour produce such effects, as you can imagine, of envy, of boasting, of dishonouring others, of touchiness, and of bearing grudges. Well, by contrast to the ancient way of seeking honour as the centre of life, and the modern way of perhaps seeking authenticity as the centre of life, Paul recommends the Christian way of love. So today, I want to look at two things. Firstly, the way of love in the first century Corinth, and then secondly, the way of love in 21st century Wembley. Here we go. Firstly, the way of love in first century Corinth. Within the circles of the church in Corinth, one way that honour, that distinction, might be found was in having certain spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, working miracles, having knowledge, being a prophet. These set you apart. They gave you a spiritual distinction that perhaps put you over others. This, as we saw last week, if you were here, led to spiritual snobbery, which Paul is countering in these chapters. And he countered it, well, so far, by emphasising that all Christians share the same Holy Spirit. 
None are without this gift from God. And all have different gifts activated in each believer by the Holy Spirit. These gifts do vary, but God has put all of them together in us to work like a body so that each one in the church, whatever our gift, has something important to bring and do and be amongst us. And now in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul drives deeper to try to reshape the whole way that the Corinthians think and feel and live. He wants them to value, to desire, to pursue and to live by love above all. Having talked about the gifts, he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, But the question immediately arises, which gifts are the greater gifts and what is the best way to value them and why? And Paul is ready to weigh in here. He says, and yet I'll show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but... And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So here Paul takes a gift from the bottom of his list, tongues, and a gift from the top of his list, prophecy, and says that either one of those is useless without love. And although this passage is often read at weddings, it's clearly not really talking about romantic love. Not having love is nothing to do with not having a lover. Rather, not having love is not having love for those around you, not loving others. Paul is saying that the true substance of the Christian life is love. It's not religious ecstasy that might be expressed in speaking in tongues. It's not knowledge of hidden things that might be expressed in bringing prophecy and words of revelation. It's not power even to move mountains. It's not some kind of self-renouncing sacrifice. None of these things is the true substance of the Christian life. Love is the true substance of the Christian life. Love of neighbour. And preoccupation with honour or with knowledge or with power or with self-mastery leads to, well, impatience with others. It leads to contempt for weakness. You envy those who get ahead of you. You boast over those you get ahead of. You are touchy over slights, real or imagined. And you remember them. But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonour others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is in harmony with virtue. And it contains an unlimited goodwill. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The last section of chapter 13, Paul talks about why love is the most excellent way. And he says something like, well, 
Love is from the future. Or he says something like, Love belongs to what is unfailing and complete and is here already and does not need to be changed even when we enter into the the life to come and the world to come. As he says in verse 8, Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. The Corinthians are attaching special honour to things that are not imperishable. They are, on the contrary, temporary. They're just here For a moment, tongues and prophecy might seem like they're a taste of the heavenly and eternal power that is to come and has come to us now. Here is the kingdom of God. But no, they're really just for now and will disappear. Even all our knowledge and wisdom and prophecy is incomplete. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then... We shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. All that the Spirit has taught to us, all that the revelation of God's plan and will found in the Scriptures tells us, it is still, although true, partial. It is not direct sight. When at the new creation completeness comes our knowledge will be transformed it will be transformed into fully knowing and a consciousness of having been fully known that is knowledge will be about our relationship with God it will be about perfect love and hence Paul's conclusion and now these three remain faith hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Part two, the way of love in 21st century Wembley. Now, an amazing thing happened over the next several centuries after Paul wrote this passage to the Corinthians. The way of love captured the culture of the ancient world. And the way of honour slowly but surely had to change to accommodate the rise of love as central and indispensable to life because faith in Christ rose. Tom Holland, the popular historian who wrote this book, Dominion, my kids always say, Tom Holland, you mean Spider-Man? I say, no, no, no. Tom Holland, the popular historian who wrote the book called Dominion, as he grew up, as a kid, he loved dinosaurs. He loved their kind of great power and might and sharp teeth and terrible claws. Uh, and he said that interest in dinosaurs translated seamlessly into a love of ancient civilizations. The Persian, the Greek and the Roman empires. Apex predators, he called them, because they had these great sharp teeth and claws The Spartans who practiced a peculiarly murderous form of eugenics, he says. Or Caesar, who was reported to have killed a million Gauls 
and to have enslaved a million more, and all with a complete sense, a complete lack of any sense, that the poor or the weak might have had the slightest intrinsic value. This was the world into which Paul wrote his, his encouragement, his recommendation, his appeal for love. But the loveless exaltation of honour through conquest and victory that Tom Holland perceived in the ancient world disturbed him and made him realise actually how much of a Christian he was in moral sensibility even though he wasn't a Christian in his explicit trust in Christ. And at the beginning of this book, in the opening page, there are three quotes. And the first one is from Augustine, from the 4th century, a Roman African. Augustine said, Love and do as you will. Famous quote from Augustine about love. He says, that's another way of saying what Paul is saying. That love is the central principle. And if you, if you keep to that principle, you can do what you want. Because if what you want is to love, then you can do what you want and you will love and you will, will do right. right. This is the Christian ethic, the Christian principle of love. The other, uh, the third quote, I should say, is from John Lennon and Paul McCartney. All you need is love. He was a direct descendant of 1 Corinthians 13 on the lips of, well, two non-Christian fellows from the UK in the 20th century. The idea that love is a guiding and central virtue has grown and endures. We knocked on all the doors in Wembley. We went out after the service and did that. I suspect that if you ask them, are you for love? Do you think it's a central and guiding ethical principle? They probably say... Yes. Love is fantastic. Love is the way we should be living our lives. I doubt you'd have to argue hard for others to say yes to loving others. It's the complete victory of Paul's ethic that he lays out in 1 Corinthians 13. But can I say, it doesn't mean it's easy to follow that way, that way of love. Let me give you some pastoral counsel to finish the sermon. Two points. The first one is this. We're going to actually try to walk this way. We need to seek the capacity to love from God. In Romans 5.5, Paul wrote, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is the Christian way to follow the way of love. In 1 John 4.7, we read, love is from God. In 1 John 4.19 it says, We love because he first loved us. The power to love, to walk this way, comes because of God's love for us, because of God's Holy Spirit poured into our hearts. So ask God to activate his love in you and then set out to live in love. Perhaps the fundamental quality of love is that it takes joy in the good of the other. If I love my neighbour, then what is good for them and in them gives me joy. I rejoice when they do well. I can be glad for the good things they have. I'm motivated to relieve their suffering. I'm grieved if I cause them hurt. I'm willing to forgive them if they hurt me. 
Love acts. It considers what others might want or need and does what it can to supply that need. And love refrains from acting. Sometimes to love someone is to give them space and freedom. Certainly it is loving to stop yourself being unkind, making a cruel comment, taking advantage of someone else's weakness. To learn to love wisely and well is a lifetime's effort. It's a job that we will not finish in this life, but it is the most excellent way. And it is the true substance of the Christian life. Seek love from God. Second piece of pastoral counsel is to drop what does not fit with love. The lust for honour through the pursuit of status had to go in the ancient world. People realised that we cannot live this way pursuing honour. We must instead set it aside to love. Let me ask this question. Does the modern quest for authenticity clash with the way of love? If being authentic means you finding your unique and special way of being you, way of being a human being, and then living that out, it starts to sound like it could become all about you. And other people might just be those who either need to serve that project of you being you, or they get in the way of it. You might hear people say, I can't be me and remain in this marriage. I need to fulfil my potential and it's holding me back. This kind of thinking is the quest for authenticity, overriding the way of love. If you can't handle the way I am, someone might say, that's your problem. I'm not going to edit myself to make you comfortable. I'll be who I am and you can deal with it. Perhaps this kind of talk claims that me being me, my personal authenticity is more important than me considering how I might love others. We need to think about what principles that drive our own time and place might conflict with the Christian principle of love. And we need to follow the most excellent way, which is the way of love. And so, two points of pastoral counsel. One, seek from God the capacity to love. And secondly, drop what does not fit with love. Let's pray. Father, help us to be convinced anew that the way to live is to follow the way of love, that it is the greatest of the things that we might put at the centre of our lives. Help us, Lord, to not just feel that that's the right way, but to walk in that right way. Give us, Lord, love in our hearts, activated in us by your Holy Spirit, that we might be those whose lives are shaped and characterised by love. Help us to also see what conflicts with the way of love, perhaps in our own thinking, in the thinking of those around us, and help us 
to prefer love over anything else and to drop what is inconsistent with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.